What's up, guys? Welcome into the 25th episode of Heroes Home Base. All right, this is Rich. So, it's just Rich. Let me give give me like two seconds to explain this. So, we've had some major audio malfunctioning. The podcast gods are extremely disappointed in me for some reason. So, we did a uh, little intro and an exit. We reviewed the um, last two issues of the DC versus Marvel. Uh, we're just gonna have to put that on another episode. I apologize once again. Getting extended to another episode. So, with that being said, I'll just do a little quick intro for uh, you guys. We got JC, the owner of the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Hollywood, California. He is the show producer of Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin's uh, Fat Man Beyond, formerly Fat Man on Batman. Um, Really cool conversation with him. Uh, I'm just going to make this brief because this is a really long interview and it's really meaty and it's really awesome. So hope you guys enjoy it. Um, so hit us up. I'll just plug a couple things here. Hit us up on uh, Heroes Home Base uh, at Gmail if you got any questions. Um, like us on Facebook. Like us on your podcast um, listening app device, whatever. Um, we on our next episode we do have another email to go over um, that obviously is not going to make it into this episode. Um, so go ahead and, uh, email us if you want. The biggest thing we're going to do about this who would win segment is we need some, we need some interaction. We need people to, to pick, pick your matchups. So, uh, without further ado, I'll get right to it. This is JC, uh, the owner of the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Hollywood, California, and he is a great guest. So hope you enjoy JC. Hello. There we are. How are you? Good. You can hear me? Yes, I can. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. All right, sweet, absolutely. I got to tell you that we are such huge fans of not only the scum and villainy, but with you, what you guys do with Fat Man Beyond is mm-hmm. just incredible. It's really, I mean, I, it's just, it's such a privilege to be able to talk to you tonight. So really, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks oh, for yeah, taking of the course. time, bro. Where are you guys based? I'm located in Brooklyn. We're and in, Rich and Rob, Rob is going to be on in just a few minutes. Um, we're in Columbus, some, Ohio. Oh, sweet. Yeah, we've known each other since we were 13, and comic books is really our passion. And so we've created this podcast called Heroes Home Base just to have a conversation. And, you know, as we go over, you know, production notes and who we want to have on, you are really at the top of the list because we think that you are just doing such great work at this government villainy that we had to talk to you. Sweet. So what we'd like to ask all our guests because we're all about the comic book genre, is when did you first fall in love with comics or the comic book superhero nerd genre? Yeah. Um, I think, well, when I get really into nerdy stuff, I mean, that was basically my whole life. I've loved Star Wars since I can remember. Uh, One of the first movies, I think the first movie I ever saw in the movie theater was Return of the Jedi. Um, Where I got really into... Uh, and I've loved superheroes, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends when yeah. I was real little. I'm I'm 39, so that's my era was kind of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And then, of course, uh, when Fox started doing the X-Men animated series and the oh, Spider-Man yeah. animated series, I fell in love with those. I think when it really exploded for me, I was in fourth grade and Marvel released the first 
series of their comic cards where it was, you know, it was kind of like profiles of all the different comic book characters and it right. had statistics and a little bio on the back. Um, and that's where I was, my eyes were opened up to characters like the Punisher or, yeah. you know, who the name of the guy that was in the one episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends is Wolverine. And, you know, um, I had all the uh, Secret Wars action figures. Oh, I loved Super Friends. Uh, oh, I loved yeah. Super Friends. I still have all my original Kenner Super Friends figures and Hell yes. Justice and nice. all of those. Um, <laughs> so that was also, I guess that was my first love was the DC Super Friends. And then the Marvel stuff kind of came a little bit later. Nice. Yeah. Me and Rob are more of the uh, DC guys and, Mar and Marvel was more of Mark's genre. Yeah. What was that? The the uh, ninety. What 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 was that? The ninety six. Was it? The, oh wait. Oh, the Marvel cards. I think it was like ninety one. Was it like the flare cards or what was it? The 90, flare cards came in ninety four. Okay. Ninety one, I think, was the Marvel cards because that's about when I was in fourth grade. So can you tell us how long has a scum scum and villainy been open? So uh, we celebrated our three-year anniversary our trilogy anniversary nice. wow. in april uh while we were closed due to coronavirus <laughs> oh, so no. um, but it was really fun we did um unfortunately weren't able to have a party we weren't able to have right. people in the bar but we did do like a six-hour live stream Nice. And um, I was able to get some of my buddies and some people who I've worked with over the years on. So we had like Sam Whitwer, who plays the voice of Darth Maul. Hell yeah. Uh, Greg Grunberg, who is in episode seven and nine. Kevin Smith came on. Um, David Collins, who's been a Star Wars Celebration show uh, stage host. Amy Ratcliffe, who's written a bunch of Star Wars books. So we had like a very, very cool uh, Grant E. Mahara from Mythbusters came on. Wow. Kind of friends of uh, Scum and Villainy showed up and um, kind of shared their memories of going to Scum and Villainy and what makes it a special place. So our third year birthday party was disappointing in a lot of ways, but also pretty amazing. Hell yeah. Sounds like it. I mean, even with just that, isn't it just incredible what we can do with technology, even though we just can't be together in one spot you can in a way you know and still as you were telling me i always wish i was a part of that yeah, live seriously. stream because it just sounds just as great it's fun you know the the coolest part about scum and villainy isn't the fact that it's a bar that looks like a bar that you saw in a movie it's that there's a community of people who have um met people at the bar who are like-minded it's a spot where you know you guys all met in middle school because of a class project and you're like oh look it's the other two nerds in class right but, you know there aren't really a lot of places out there to go if you are into nerdy things what do you do you go to buffalo wild wings like it doesn't really <laughs> right, work right. you know if you love <laughs> if you love uh you know the cleveland cavaliers you can go to buffalo wild wings and you can find somebody who's wearing the jersey of your favorite player and strike up a conversation. But if you're into Superman, you're into Batman, you're into Firefly, where do you go? Um, and people have kind of found that place at Scum and Villainy. Um, so when we had to actually close 
our physical doors, we, um, we kind of brought the community online and started doing live video podcasts and things like that, which is actually what my background is, is as a filmmaker and doing uh, videos. So for me, it was like a return to my roots right. where I got to um, flex some of those skills that I haven't used as often to keep uh, to to still be a rallying point where people could from the community give them a reason to log on to their computer, watch some fun free content, and chat with their friends, even if they can't see them face to face. Hell yeah! And you know, you touched on two key things there that you said that it's a community. Do people? I actually looked at some pictures of the scum and villainy online and i just threw those pictures i saw people dressed up in star wars and star trek and people dressed up as different marvel characters and i just man it's just such a sense of community you like kevin says you truly are doing the lord's work and you know (laughs) do you feel do people feel safe there yeah and that's one of the things that from the very beginning we've tried to preach is um it's a safe spot for everybody to go one of our hashtags is sci-fi safe house and the the reason we do that is you know we have some harry potter stuff in the bar we have some uh star trek stuff in the bar and you would get people who would come in and be like this is a star wars bar don't you know this is for star wars fans what's that klingon batlith doing here and you know my response to that was always well like you know i it's my bar i should know what the bar is more than you but also you know fuck you troll (laughs) yeah the venn diagram of things that a Star Trek fan has in common with Star Wars. It's like, you like, out of a hundred things, you like 99 of the same things as this person does. Absolutely. You both love Doctor Who. You both love Princess Bride. You both love, you know, uh, Firefly or Farscape or Stargate or whatever. But because you like Star Trek and I like Star Wars, we're mortal enemies. I was like, guys, oh, it's not 1987 anymore. That doesn't make sense. Like, right. Like, yeah. let's all, we're all on the same team here. We've got enough problems from the outside. Like, let's all celebrate the things that we share in common and focus on that instead of focusing on the thing that divides us. I was going to ask you, you had mentioned your background a bit. One of my questions was going to be, what did you do before this? But you touched uh, on it. So before this, I was a filmmaker. Um, I mean, I guess I still am a filmmaker, um, but being a bar owner takes a lot of time. I opened the bar. I thought it was going to be like my side hustle while I worked on film. It was going to be like my like, oh, I can make money at this bar while I while I pursue movies. Um, But it turned out that the movies kind of became the side hustle and then the bar kind of became the full time thing. Um, but I've done, you know, I've done a lot of work with Kevin Smith. I started, I got hooked up with him back in 2011. I wrote a short film called Hughes the Forest, which is John Hughes meets Star Wars. Nice. Uh, because I grew up in Shermer, Illinois, which is, you know, the fictional world of John Hughes. It's actually called Northbrook, Illinois. You know, Ferris Bueller, when you watch Ferris Bueller, the outside of Ferris Bueller's high school is where I went to high school. Wow. um, You know, watching Dogma and Jane and Silent Bob, you know, they were trying to get to Shermer, Illinois, 
yep. to find Molly Ringwald. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Kevin Smith would be the perfect person to write into this movie because it's about, it's a Star Wars John Hughes crossover. And uh, those are two things that he talks about and loves. Um, and in a roundabout way, I started following him on Twitter and I tried to do it. And one day he was like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to come and film my new podcast at the John Lovitz Theater. Is anybody available with a Canon 5D? No and I was shit. like, I am, I am, I am. <laughs> and so I showed up that night with uh, a full crew and three cameras and I shot the podcast. And he's like, okay, cool. Drop the footage off at my house tomorrow. Wow. So I went home that night and I loaded it up into Avid and did all the assistant edit work. And I showed up at his house and I was like, hey, you guys, uh, here it is. I, I got it all set up in the Avid for you. And he was like, oh, you guys edit too? Do you, do you want to just edit it? I was like, okay. So I went home and I cut the podcast together. Hell yeah. And, uh, That's incredible. He, he goes, uh, you want to come back next week? You want to come back next week? You want to come back next week? <laughs> wow. And, you know, that's turned into, you know, eventually he he shot his part for my movie. So Kevin's in my movie. Um, and, you know, I have toured the world with him. I directed his TV special, Jane Silent Bob Go Down Under. I shot all the behind the scenes for his UK specials. Um, I wow. was uh, the assistant editor on Tusk. Wow. Uh, I was the assistant editor on Yoga Hosers, which I didn't take the credit for because <laughs> um, I was actually a producer on Yoga Hosers as well. Um, so a lot of Yoga Hosers, a lot of what's in Yoga Hosers is actually from a script that a friend of mine and I wrote uh, that we gave to Kevin to read that he was like, hey, I'm halfway done with this movie Yoga Hosers. I'd like to borrow some of these elements. Nice. So. Um, the little Bratsies in Yoga Hosers was yeah. actually, uh, <laughs> borrowed from a script I have uh, called Teenage Hitler Hunters about these kids who discover a underground secret Nazi base in the hills mm. of Pacific Palisades. It was the center for Adolf Hitler's science experiments, which actually is wild because there actually is an abandoned Nazi base. Like, right down the hill in the valley by Steven Spielberg's house. Oh, um, shit. Wow. <laughs> and there were actually American Nazis uh, in that, that were forming this compound that was going to be Hitler's um, base of operations uh, when he eventually took over the world. It was going to be his Hollywood base of operations. Wow. And so we did all this research on that, and then we kind of added this fantastical element and made it more like um, – Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom meets like gremlins. Um, <laughs> there is and a then combo. So, so the the stuff in Yoga Hosers that you see about Canadian Nazis and Bratzies and this weird science experiment and all of that was um, was licensed from a script that I had written. So I've gotten to do some really cool stuff with with Kevin over the years. And then um, uh, when we opened Scum and Villainy, I was like, hey, this would be the perfect spot to move Fat Man Beyond to or Fat Man on Batman at the time, yeah, yeah. Um, which I had been producing for two years at that point already. Really? So, um, so I've been doing Fat Man Beyond or Fat Man on Batman since if you went back and watched the video shows from the time that they moved into the the studio, the studio at yeah at like not the defy media studio 
but like um, we moved into a spot at Greg Grunberg's studio. And so that's about when I took over. So I took over, I, I don't know, a year in a year into the video podcast part. Nice. Um, and it's just, it's been super fun and Kevin's awesome. And, you know, we've known each other for almost 10 years now. Um, and you were like, Hey, I'm opening a bar. Let's just move it to my bar so I can do two mm-hmm. things at once. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Double dip, but it's the perfect yeah, yeah. spot to do the, the show. And you know, at the bar we can sell tickets and people can come and see it. When we were at all these other places, they were tiny little studios. So you didn't get the audience and, um, you know, people love doing the Q and A's. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so again, when the bar shut down and we weren't allowed to have an audience anymore, we just brought the show online. Um, you know, before that, I worked for Major League Baseball for a number of years. Nice. Worked for different, um, uh, you know, online media companies and things like that. Like even today, I still uh, have a job editing news videos for billboard.com so like i keep my i keep my fingers in all the in all the things it sounds like it and you know the the way you talk about kevin i actually got a chance to meet him a couple of times i'm sure he doesn't remember me but i would travel to certain places you're memorable (laughs) i i I like to think so but i try to i've gotten a chance to meet him and his book tough shit was so was such a inspiration for me and i actually specifically flew to Phoenix, Arizona to see him perform at the Stand Up Live in Phoenix. And I remember him telling the audience, he said he was so, he's really had just been such an inspiration for me and us. And he, I remember that night, this is during uh, Captain America Civil War. He said he had just saw it that weekend and so did we. And he said, he told the audience before he left. Now, mind you, it was supposed to be a two hour show. So, you know, it went on for four hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> so Five. we got there at eight, we didn't leave till two. But he told the audience, he said, everybody has like, you know, a nine to five or whatever job you do. He said, your real job is to figure out the real reason why you're here. And when I come back here next year, or when I come back here, I want, you, I want you to have figured out what that was. And I want you to tell me what that was. Now, fast forward four years, I tried different things, but I always, that always kept in my head because our real job is to figure out the real reason why we're here. And because of him, I remember praying like, I have a degree in communications and I was still trying to figure it out. And it ended up rich. I remember praying like, I want to do a podcast. I want to have a conversation, but I just couldn't figure out exactly what. And Rich had brought this idea to me and Rob saying, why don't we do a podcast? And I'm telling you, this has been the most fulfilling work ever. So when I do meet Kevin again, I got to tell him that he's the reason why this is, I take this podcast so seriously and why I take down notes (laughs) for every interview, (laughs) why I just, you know, why I travel for certain things so we can interview certain people. And, we have had some really great interviews since we started this podcast. So the way you talk about Kevin, really, it's just, he really is a great inspiration. And I, I completely agree with your feelings about him. Really. I love that book that he wrote, man. Tough shit. It's such a good book. It is a good it, book. If you guys get the Kindle edition, I believe mm-hmm. there are, uh, it comes with bonus features, which are videos of him that I shot and cut in his going around his house showing off like old stuff like the slate clapper that he used to make clerks oh wow uh, nice. that he bought at suncoast video and then like he suncoast video <laughs> oh my god uh he talks about this painting he had of his wife done anyway if you get the kindle version of the book there's that you can see some of the videos i've done but no he's oh. the real deal like he's actually um i've worked with a lot of people in hollywood 
and uh, he he genuinely cares. He's genuinely, um, you know, affected and emotional about the his fans and the people who who are able to um, you know take what he says and apply it. Right. That's incredible. So can you tell us why, I, I, obviously you live in California, but why Hollywood Boulevard? Ooh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's an interesting story. Uh, I could make something up and talk about how, you know, this, uh, we're on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And that's, you know, when people think about, ho- uh, you know, their dreams coming true, it's Hollywood Boulevard. It's the Times Square of Los Angeles. Uh, but that would all be a lie. Um, the actual reason is uh, my fiance is a bar and restaurant designer. And nice. the only reason wow. we were kind of able to do this, uh, I mean, the long version of this story, and like you said, um, and I messaged you about it, is uh, I've learned from the best. So I talk. Um, Talk as much yeah. as you'd like. Talk we as love, much as you want. We love hearing from you, really. I told you, I was like, please, when you wrote that, I'm like, please, no, keep talking. Are you yeah. kidding me? Talk as much as you want. You guys are like, hey, I need you for 20 minutes. I was like, that's one story, guys. Well, can I tell you, I only said that because I know how busy you, I, I figured you were so busy and I just needed to trap you. I just needed to get you. <laughs> um, so, uh my fiance is a bar and restaurant designer and we were at her favorite thing in the world is uh saved by the bell she grew up without uh television and so the only thing she had was a vcr with old episodes of saved by the bell taped off of tbs and when she would get home from school uh her her uh, mom was a single parent, so she would watch Saved by the Bell over and over and over, and it's her favorite thing. So they announced a Saved by the Max pop-up bar in Chicago, Illinois. And um, I was filming a movie in Italy at the time, and I was like, oh, my God, we have to go to this like opening oh, yeah. weekend. We've got to wow. go see it. Like, Jen will go crazy over it. So – I tried to get, I bought airline tickets to fly back to Chicago opening weekend of Saved by the Max. And it was, uh, the tickets went on sale like two weeks after I bought the airline tickets and they sold out like immediately. So they were like, well, there's walk-in hours that you might be able to get in or whatever. So Black Friday um, walk-in hours. Yeah. So like on opening night of Saved by the Max, we've flown 2,000 miles from Los Angeles to Chicago to go to this pop-up. Wow. And I don't know. We were like maybe the 20th people in line, right? I love Star Wars, so I'm used to waiting in line to see stuff. Right, right. Like episode (laughs) one came out and episode two came out. And I like I had seen the movies early, but I was still like – in line at the movie theater for the midnight show by like Hell yep, yep, in the morning. Yep. Uh, I was like, no, we're just going to go get in line. We'll get in line. Like they'll open for walk-ins at 10 PM. We'll get in line at six. There's no way we'll have a problem getting. Well, we're like the 20th people in line and at 10 30, 11 o'clock, they're like, you guys aren't getting it. Oh. So that was a Friday night. And when we left, there was like three, 400 people in line. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So we went back to my mom's house where I have all of my action figures and all my whole collection. And I'm like looking around and uh, like the seed is planted and I show up. We, so she and I get up early at like 6 a.m. 
We drive back to the city. We get, we're the second people in line now to get in for their, their 11 a.m. brunch, uh, Saturday morning brunch. So we got in and uh, as we're walking in, I was just like, Hey, you know, you and I could do something like this. I think she's like, what, what, what do you you mean? I was like, we could open up a pop-up bar. She's like, well, I guess, but like, what would we do? And I was like, Star Wars. scum and villainy cantina and she was like oh my god like i don't even know what you're talking about but (laughs) like okay and she's like how do you even do that i was like you're a bar and restaurant designer talk to some of your clients to have a partner up with us and she was like but how do you even do that i go well we waited in line to come here i was like star wars fans all nerds wait in line. You wait that's in line at Comic Con. You wait. That's that is it, it, that's part of the experience. You know the greatest times I've ever had, and some of the best friends I've ever made. Uh, I made waiting in line at comic book conventions or Star right. Wars. Right. Absolutely. Yep. You know, because you're there for three hours. You know <laughs> that the people around you love the thing you love as much as you do because they're crazy enough to wait in line for freaking three hours to listen to mark hamill do a joker <laughs> monologue wow. and, and i was like we could just build that place like we could build the comic-con bar that exists every day hell yes goes, yeah, but what do you what do you mean i was like well you sell tickets and one of the things that i've uh that like i cross the streams really well i always love sports nice pun sports nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I played baseball and football growing up. So I like was able to, I was in the jock circles in terms of my activities, but my, like socially I was in the nerd circles. Um, so when the Rams moved back to Los Angeles, yeah. um, I got season tickets for the Rams and the Rams did a thing where, you get you sent them a hundred dollars and you got a virtual spot in line and you didn't know when the season was going to start and you didn't know what the schedule was and you didn't know where your seats were going to be and you didn't know anything but you knew that if you were the thousandth person or the five thousandth person or the ten thousandth person to put that hundred dollar deposit down that you would that would be your spot in line where you got to choose your seats so we were right. like the twentieth thousand. 20,000th people to get to choose our Ramses. So that was happening right around that had happened the year before we tried to open scum and villainy and we were trying to figure out how to do it. And I was like, well, if it works for the NFL. So what I've always done is sports is 30 years ahead of nerddom. Yeah. You know, first sports opened in the late seventies. Okay. You know, so 30 years later, we opened one of the first nerd bars, right? Uh, how do you open the nerd bar? Well, you do it the same way the NFL sold season tickets to the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. You sell a virtual spot in line and the first person to buy the ticket gets first dibs on when they're going to go to scum and villainy. So they get the first, they can pick the first day we're open. They're like, well, why, who's going to do that? They don't even know where the bar is located. I was like, (laughs) It's in California. It's in Los Angeles. It doesn't matter. People will travel. You build so it, they will we, come. Yeah, that's so right. that's, that's what we did. I, You know, being kind of in the sports world my whole life, um, I've realized that if I just borrow what 
sports did in the 70s and 80s and apply it to nerd culture, it, it's nobody else has done it. So we were kind of the first spot to say by the max did it similar to what we did. Um, but we were kind of the first spot to to use that business model to open a pop up bar, which now has been copied 8 billion times by everyone. Really? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Anyway, there's a 10 minute answer to your eight no, second question. Not at all. No, that's exactly what I wanted. I was listening. That's just incredible. That's so, I mean, so much can stem from standing in line with your peers. I remember yeah. when we, Rich, I remember the night we went to go see Phantom Menace. Yes. And standing in line, it, we, I think it was at the Lennox and the yep. conversations that we had. You know, I'm serious. I, it's, that's how we can relate to you because so much can stem from that kind of sense of community, that kind of, I mean, you're, you're in line with different kinds of people from all different kinds of walks of life. So all of that, something's bound to come out of that. So that's incredible. I remember <laughs> waiting in line. I don't remember which Star Wars it was. Was it, I think it might've been episode two when the theater staff, had to yell at people for having lightsaber fights and yes. running to the theaters like, hey, yes. calm it down there. Yeah. You're all going to see this. You all have tickets. <laughs> I, <just> remember. <laughs> well, I remember that. You know, it, it dials back to your earlier question about it's a safe space, right? If you're in high school or junior high and you go up to somebody and you're like, what color is your lightsaber? It's like, boom, punched in the face, right? right? If you say that to somebody at Comic-Con, they're like, amethyst. You're like, what? Right. right. Is that you, can't a color? Have, you can't have a purple lightsaber. It's like, it's not purple, it's amethyst. You're right. like, no, blue, green, or red. And they're like, no, no. If you've read this book, you know that Mara Jade has a amethyst lightsaber, whatever, you know? And then right. all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't know about, heir to the empire or whatever i had only read you know the jedi academy trilogy and then all of a sudden you're just like geeking out like like crazy <laughs> you know you remind me of it was my buddy eric and i went to see the dark knight rises and just we ended up playing euchre with complete strangers but it was like we knew them for years i, mm -hmm. I love that community aspect of stuff like I love that feeling. I love that. Yeah. I'm having this feeling right now, even though we're 3,000 miles away. JC, I'm having that feeling with you right now. All four of us, I'm having that feeling. Can you tell us, what are the, what are the customers like at the Scum and Villainy? Um, they're the best. Uh, they're the best. Um, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's, there's a really good nerdy crew that have kind of like found their second home there. Or, oh, yeah. You know, um, there are people who... You know, um, there's a member of the community uh, named Eric who passed away very suddenly. Oh. And he uh, was, oh, what did he go by? Jedi, Elvis Jedi or something. And he did, mm. he dressed like a, a mashup of, of a Jedi and Elvis. And nice. would go and do events and sing, you know, Elvis parody songs that were mashed up with Star Wars. Um, you know, wow. and the night he or the day after he passed away, kind of like everybody found themselves at Scum and Villainy commiserating. And, you know, oh. um, there's a group, uh, two uh, women from San Diego who um, have social anxiety and, you know, they're lesbians and, you know, they don't go out in San Diego because 
they don't feel comfortable at any of those spots and they're you know dual income no kids and once a month they will drive up to los angeles and get a hotel room and spend two nights at our bar dressed as uh you know uh leia and kylo ren or kylo ren and you know it doesn't matter that they're doing a gender bender cosplay or whatever it is like that's who they feel they identify with and nobody in the bar says anything to them except like can i get my picture with you i love nice Um, nice you know it's not weird it's uh i like to say it's the place where people uh put on their their pretend mask and get to take off the mask they wear in the world right you know uh which is like kind of a joseph campbell thing which also relates back to star wars yes Um, or uh it's where you know growing up all the things the nerdier you were, the the more uncool you were. Yeah. But this is a place where you can go, and the nerdier you are, the cooler you are. The more pictures people want to take, yep. and the more people you celebrity you're status. Be. Yeah, you get. You know, you show up in a full stormtrooper costume, or you full up, show up. We had a guy show up as a Blade Runner. Right? Nice. And I was like, uh, "Hey, that's awesome," and he's like, "Well." you know, it's my night off. And if I'm going to go someplace, I want to go someplace where no synthetic life forms are allowed in. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's a spot where, you know, everybody loves playing D and D and D and D is bigger now than it's ever been. Right. Yeah. Scum and villainy is kind of the place where you can go and role play or cosplay or, you know, everybody knows that we're on Hollywood Boulevard and on earth, but you get to have that like 15 second interaction with somebody where you get to make pretend like oh, you yeah. did when you were nine years old Yeah, and nobody looks at you funny wow. about it. They actually, uh, they love the, the creativity and the storytelling behind it. Um, you know, we've had multiple people meet there and end up engaged. Oh, oh shit. I would love, you that. know, um, the, uh, this guy, Brian Morton, who is the guy who did the poster for Avengers infinity war and Endgame and, uh, the force awakens. Wow. Nice. Um, met his girlfriend at scum and villainy on may the 4th nice 2017 (laughs) and then on may the 4th 2018 they came to the bar after they signed the lease to move in together in their first place together and then on may the 4th 2019 they came in and he proposed to her on May nice. the Fourth. That's bar incredible. At, at the exact same spot where they met, and so every time they come into the bar, they take the exact same photo, no matter what costume. So he was cosplaying as Han Solo, and she was cosplaying as Jin Erso, I think, when they met, and then they've been in, and they take the same photo every time they come in. You know, one time he was dressed as Peter Pan and she was dressed as Tinkerbell. And they still take the same photo in the same spot. And then this year on May the 4th, we were closed. Uh, Mm. We were doing uh, drive up uh, scumbag. We called them scumbags. It was a a, uh, a blue milk 
and like some chips and a fruit roll up and a scum and villainy <laughs> patch and you could drive up and we'd bring it out and they came so that they could have their May the 4th anniversary. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I actually had them double park and I let them come into the bar and take their photo because that's, it's their tradition now, you know? Um, so those are the type of things where like when, when the bar gets shut down or we're having trouble with the landlords or we're doing all of these things, all of this frustration that comes with being a business owner, um, those are the stories that where you're like, well, we have to keep going. Yeah. We Hell have yeah. to yes. keep doing oh, yes. this. Like how many people haven't met their wife yet there? Right. You know? that's the, and you <laughs> had a hand in that. How awesome is that? You know what uh, I mean? Like that's so incredible. So <laughs> yeah, guess. it's, it's the greatest people on earth, you know? Absolutely. So one thing you just said really resonated with me is the idea that they can take off the fake facade, the mask that they wear in their everyday lives. I have to commend you for that because my full-time job, um, I'm a therapist. So I work with people and talk about the facade that they wear around every single day. And it's like, my, my standard question to that is always, what about the individual underneath all that shit? And it's like, I, I love that you're offering a service where it's almost like that authentic self can go have a good time, which is sadly lacking in everyday life. So that's, that's freaking awesome. Well, oh, yeah. well it's, I mean, think about it. It's crazy. Like you, unless you're sitting at home and it's Christmas morning or whatever with your family, you are constantly pretending to be, somebody you're not at some level right yep. you're you're putting your nerddom and your enthusiasm for nerdy things maybe you're not hiding it but you're dialing it way down right. or you're dialing this down or you're dialing that down where it's just like you know to have a place outside of your mother's house where you grew up where right. you get to be true to that part of yourself uh, i think it's super important and um and not like you said it's not talked about enough and it's not nurtured enough you know um you know in 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 a way where you get you get that outlet you know you yeah. the, you know again when you're at work and if somebody says star wars you shouldn't jump up on the table and take a toy lightsaber right 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 swing it around right there's a reason for it but it's nice that there's a place you can go and yeah. take out your toy lightsaber and swing it around. Yes. You know, I got to tell you, with you saying that, just uh, as you just said that, the outlet, the the release of energy that comes from that to be able to exhale, you know what I'm saying, in that kind of space, I'm telling you, the en your karma is like so good, it's not even funny. Like the energy <laughs> is totally coming back to you. Like you're straight up going to heaven because of the work that you're doing there. It's just that, you know, I'm still stuck on the fact that this married couple, that's such a sacred space for them. You know what I mean? That that's just incredible. And you had a hand in that and how incredible that is. It's it's amazing. And, you know, it's also one of those things where, um, you know, comic conventions and those places are the outlet. You're like, I get to go to Wizard World once a year if I'm not sick or out of town. And I get to be with my nerd friends three days a year. Well, it's like, right. why the hell can't you do that like four nights a week? Right. Like, why, why is that 
you know, why are you limited to, to just like, Hey, I get to be a kid again, three days a year. All right. But I've got to pay a hundred dollars to buy the convention pass and there's right. a billion people and whatever. Well, uh, and there's a level of intimacy that I would imagine you would get at your establishment that you're just not going to get at a con just due to the grand scale of it. So absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we don't have televisions in the bar and we don't have nice. distractions because the moment you put a TV up on the wall and like nobody who's listening to this can see this, but your eyes go from like level with everybody who's around you and they go up. Yep. And at our spot, it's just like you, you don't have that escape, right? You could look at your phone if you want. And so many people have been like, why don't you just play Star Wars movies all the time? I was like... Because you know the Star Wars movie. What right. you don't know is the dude sitting next to you or the lady yeah. sitting next to yeah. you who actually knows the Star Wars movie the best that, as well as you do. And you could just be like, um, you know, uh, you could say something like, hey, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite line from Empire Strikes Back? Right. You know, one of my favorite is, you know, I'll be at the bar and I'll be doing stuff and somebody will say something like, uh, anything I can do to help you? And I'll be like, not unless you can alter time, speed up the harvest, or teleport me off this rock. Right. You know? yeah, and it's man. like those types of interactions <laughs> that uh, that bring a smile to somebody's face and like you get to connect at that level, you know. And it's also different. Um, I'm totally you know, going to use that shit. Yeah. Right? The, you know, and Facebook is great and Twitter is great for connecting the nerd community. And I think it's largely responsible for like the domination of nerd culture right now. Yeah. But like, it's so easy to get shitty with somebody on yeah. Facebook um, yep. or Twitter. And it's so easy to pile on somebody. Whereas when you're, when you're, looking them in the eye and you catch the tone of their voice and you see the passion that they're speaking about the things that they love. It's easier to have a, a real conversation. It's easier to find common ground there. Mm -hmm. It's not as divisive as, uh, you know, like I love the last Jedi. I hate the last Jedi. I, I, fuck you. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> that, that doesn't really, escalate as quickly when you're looking somebody in the eye who's yeah. just like i look at it as to use a star wars analogy like social media is like you got the vader mask and helmet on like Absolutely. you can't actually look at people with your real eyes it's like right. that's part of the facade that you know everybody's a keyboard cowboy and can be an asshole and but no if i'm actually going to relate to you on a human level that, i mean that's genius to not you know, limit the distractions to foster that culture and that environment. I think that's got to be a huge part of the success. Absolutely. Well, like, think about that's what a bar used to be. <laughs> yeah, you know man. I mean? Yeah. Before every bar became a sports bar, like, that's what it was. Like, you went to commiserate, you went to hang out, you went to find other people who are, uh, who are like you, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think that's the, the cool part about it, um, you know. So uh, in a roundabout way, why Hollywood Boulevard? Because, <laughs> because that's where we ended up 
with our business partners who uh, already kind of had that location on Hollywood Boulevard. Nice. That nice. Was, that was going under. So we just kind of took it over. Nice. But you know, what you said something that was so important is that, you know, it's nice to have community. It's nice to have things in common. But what we really crave, nerds or not, but what we really crave is intimacy. And that's, that's what the bar provides. That's what we really want. Is that into and you're and scum and villainy totally is that space. I mean, it's just and and now with COVID and I watched the inter I watched the Fat Man Beyond when COVID had first happened. Oh, you guys were doing the fundraiser and we could mm -hmm. see on the side how m people were donating because I'm not going to say the number because the number stressed me out. How much you all pay in rent? Oh yeah, <laughs> I was stressed out for you. I I, I wish I'm not even going to say the number because I'm I have to remember after this. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll drop that number. We currently owe because I mean, look, people need to understand with COVID, like, and it's not just scum and villainy. Like, we're lucky because like Kevin Smith does his show to thousands and thousands of people every week. But like, and like we're we're fortunate but like there's a million other nerd bars out there uh my friends own a bar in san jose called seven stars they may never open again uh my uh storm crow manor in uh toronto um my mother's basement in atlanta like these are nerd bars who are out there who are going through the same stuff we do who don't necessarily get the attention that we get right um who have i mean they also you know, our rent is $21,000 a month. So we're $84,000 in the hole on rent right now. Um, so hopefully they have less rent, but it's still, you know, uh, they're still dealing with the same stuff also. And it's important to talk about like how, how, I mean, look, Buffalo Wild Wings and TGI Fridays are great, but like there are little spots Not that really. are, <laughs> that are <laughs> that are run <laughs> by passionate people and it's their you know it's their morning noon and night uh keeping these places open and uh it's how they pay their bills and um you know there are landlords and people out there you know the airline industry gets a multi-billion dollar bailout but like and the landlords don't have have to worry about it because they have contracts right? right so it all falls on these small businesses that just like can't make ends meet and a lot of the business owners are you know when you open a small business you're not cheesecake factory you don't have you know you're not publicly traded you don't have all these assets you sign a personal guarantee on that lease yeah. so like yeah. if that bar or restaurant fails you're personally liable for it you can't just say oh scum and villainy incorporated is uh filing bankruptcy and now i'm safe like i'm not safe no. you know that's going to be a a thing also so um you know a landlord is a landlord that's one or two people or it's a corporation with millions of dollars and tons of buildings i employ you know scum and villainy has 18 employees so scum and villainy fails that's 18 people who go out of work and yeah. think about you know so that's scum and villainy that's your local bar has 10 employees they go out of work you know so if you're going to side with the landlords and you're going to side with these big corporations that have all the money and all the power because they're like oh they're too big we can't let them fail it's like cool but like the mom and pop shops are employing seven to ten times what um what the landlord companies are so what you're actually doing is 
you know, the landlords are going to go under also because we're all going to fail and there's going to be nobody to take over the landlord's business. So you're just delaying the inevitable. If you help us out, we keep people employed. We keep businesses open. We keep the landlords and, and commercial real estate going. It's, it's like Correct. a trickle up economics instead of a trickle down economics. And right. I'm not making a political statement, red state, blue state. I'm just as a business owner, as somebody who can see kind of both sides of like, well, higher taxes or this or that. Like, I'm telling you, like, I've, I've had to lay off 18 people twice in the last four months. And like, these are people who are collecting unemployment, most of them who, who haven't had to go through the thing. So, you know, there is a, a value to beyond just uh, like, oh, nerds get to hang out. There is a value to, you know, and, and again, people were so generous giving us money, but there are so many places out there who don't have the, the megaphone and the amplifier that we do right. that need help. And they yeah. need help beyond just uh, a donation or a GoFundMe or something. Like somebody's going to have to step up and realize that um, if the 60% of America who work in the service industry and these blue collar jobs can't keep going. Like there's only so many Amazon delivery trucks right. that people can go and get a job doing. And, you know, uh, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. So yes, we, uh, we owe a ton of money. We were able to get a lot of help. Um, but it's also like, it's across the board. It's a scary time to, uh, run a business and it's a scary time like everybody in March when coronavirus hit and everybody was making a run on toilet paper yeah. and the memes all over the place were like oh we better learn how to use the three seashells for <laughs> right. I was sitting there going like no 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 what you actually need to worry about is that every restaurant is going to be fucking Taco Bell so it's so funny because I mean not only the financial side, but although you're running the bar, because your work at, is so fulfilling emotionally, is it hard? Have you missed the customers? Have you have you missed that camaraderie? Is it hard like that way? Have you missed that? I'm sure you have. You know, it's interesting. In a in some ways, I've been going so hard for so long. You know, I worked um, in 2019. I worked three full time jobs. Jeez. I would. Uh, I worked on Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I Great worked. Great movie, by the way. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> Did you guys see me? I'm in it. I uh, my my fiance and I are walking my pugs in front of Scum and Villainy uh, towards the like the what is it uh, like sixty minute mark in the movie. Um, I will go but, check that out. <laughs> uh, it's last time I saw Kevin actually. It's um it is uh it's right after. Uh, Jay and Bob get to Hollywood with the girls. Okay. There's shots of like somebody working up, walking up, like walking their dog. And then there's a shot of the Hollywood improv and there's a shot of the front of scum and villainy. And I'm, I'm walking in front. I will definitely of check it out. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I worked on Jay and Silent Kevin's Bob fucking badass like that. Isn't he? Where he just works that into a movie. I got cut. Oh, I'll tell you this story. <laughs> I've been cut out of multiple Kevin Smith movies. Um, but I, uh, uh, I worked on Jay and Bob. I worked full-time at Billboard cutting news videos, and I ran the bar all 2019. Mm-hmm. And thank God I did because it's saving me now. But um, 
It was a lot. I was working like 20 hour days for Ooh. nine months. Wow. Um, and it's seven days a week. So, uh, in a long winded answer, I've kind of enjoyed the break from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do miss being down there. I do miss the people. Every time I walk down to that bar, I like kind of, I have that scene from return of the Jedi in my head when Han is in the shuttle Tidarium with Leia. He's like looking out the window on the Millennium Falcon. And he's like, I don't know. It's, it's got this feeling like. I'm never going to see her again. <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sad also. Um, I have been able to stay connected with a lot of the community. We do. Um, I was doing fandom Fridays for a while where we were doing live streams every Friday night. And a lot of the crew would jump into the uh, live stream chat, which was really fun on Thursday nights. Uh, we run karaoke. Uh, nice. nice. When we were in person. And um, obviously you can't do karaoke in the bar. So the karaoke crew what they do is they'll watch a YouTube karaoke video at home on their TV and they'll self tape karaoke with their phone. And then yeah. they submit the videos to me on a Dropbox. And then I will DJ the karaoke and live stream it. And everybody will jump into a chat room and watch a karaoke live stream and cheer each other on. And that's great. And, um, that's awesome. <laughs> so like we found ways to keep the community engaged. So oh, yeah. don't miss it. I think as much as I would, if it just got completely chopped off. And I think, you know, part of the reason, you know, I don't, we don't charge to do our online trivia or I don't ask for donations for the karaoke or any of that. And I think part of it is, is just, it's my way to keep scum and villainy relevant. It's my way right. to, Um, Stay engaged with these people and let them know that like, hey, you're not just like a a $14 mixed drink to us. You're you're part of our community. You're part of who we are. And we want you to uh, stick with us and we're going to stick with you. And if like I can help you escape um, for two hours on a Saturday night by playing karaoke videos, then so be it. And like, you know. It's interesting, like these are the people who've come in for two years and done or three years almost and done karaoke with us every Thursday. And now they have gotten to watch their like they've got become better singers because they're listening to themselves on tape. And that is hilarious. (laughs) Last week, uh, one of the people who's been doing karaoke organized with all the group the full once more with feeling Buffy, the musical episode. Oh my God. So they cast everybody picked a part and they cast it and they all did the Buffy, the musical karaoke songs. And it was like, it's so clever and so nerdy. And like, I don't, I never watched Buffy, but to like watch these people, like, spend all of this time and invest all of this time during the week to keep their friends entertained and make it special for them. Like it's super fucking cool. And, um, you know, it's what you would wish the nerd community on the internet would be like, Yeah, Yeah. you know, like pick, pick each other up. Don't push, you know, like to get ahead. If we all pick each other up, we're going to get there much faster than if we step on each other to get right get to the end goal um so yeah it's been 
it's it's awesome. So yes, I do miss the community. Uh, I am enjoying the break. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you deserve it. Hell yeah. yeah. If there's a silver line to COVID, I know, I mean, you're right that several small businesses won't make it, but at least for myself, I'm asking myself, do I have to get that on Amazon or can I go somewhere else to get that? And if, you know, if that, you know, spreads to a few people, I think that would be a huge benefit to the small businesses and even honestly just brick and mortar, right? Like, you know, if we can diversify where we get things and stop, you know, siphoning it off to these two or three organ or conglomerates, I think, you know, it's, it benefits so many people, but I don't think Amazon needs any more money. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and hopefully people like kind of can reconnect with what really matters, you know? And, right. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I've gotten to spend four months with my fiance. We canceled, we had to cancel our wedding in April, which no. sucks. And Damn, it's like, uh, and it's horrible and it's sad, but it's like cool. But like, we didn't get our wedding, but we got to like hang out every day for four months, you wow. know, and we'll have our wedding next April. Hopefully. Please tell me you're doing a Star Wars wedding. We aren't doing a Star <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> so we're not doing a Star Wars wedding because we have a lot of Star Wars in our daily lives. Already. Okay. <laughs> um, but I will say we are... Stargate wedding. <laughs> we are getting married in a Redwood Grove in northern okay. california nice. so it's very indoor uh, yeah. my fiance okay. grew up in the adirondack mountains and loves the forest nice. and the trees nice. Uh, nice she gets her woods wedding and i get my indoor wedding oh, and nice. we, are, we are not having um uh bridesmaids or groomsmen um but my buddy randomly i, I my one of my hobbies is citrus trees. Like I grow citrus trees. Okay. <laughs> and uh, one of my buddies is a citrus farmer who also nice. happens to be the guy who builds droids for Lucasfilm. Oh, shit. <laughs> Get out of town. And so if you, guys on, awesome. if you guys on Disney Plus have seen uh, Pixar in real life, the yes. episode where Wally is driving around New York City, <laughs> that is my buddy's Wally. Nice. Um, and he also has R2, and he also did the droid for um, the new Ahmed Best show on YouTube, the Star Wars Kids channel. And so he is going to come up with R2-D2 and Wally. And oh, man. my groomsman is going to be R2 and her <laughs> that is favorite Fuck yes, dude. Jen's favorite movie is Wally, so she is going to have Wally with her. <laughs> uh, That's amazing. Up front. So it isn't a Star Wars wedding, but like we've got some pretty slick elements of Hell it. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> so, can you go like Big Bang style and get Mark Hamill to, you know, officiate the wedding? Oh, gosh. You know, uh, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> We're gonna have we're gonna have my best friend do it. Although I'm sure, like, if I reached out to Steve Sansweet or um, Kevin, probably would have done it or something. Oh, had, yeah. I, had I asked, but uh, we're gonna have my buddy do it, who's known us. Uh, like, we all kind of became friends at the same time. So That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it you know, it it would be fun to do that. But at that point, I also feel like I'm just like 
Like, it's just a brag at that point. Like, dude, look who I am. You know? Hey. <laughs> well, officiated your wedding, huh? You I have yeah. Mark Hamill do the Joker the whole time of your wedding. <laughs> that would be I, awesome. I did. Um, I do have an in with uh, some people who have access to Skywalker Ranch. And I don't think we're going to do it. We talked about just do, doing like a tiny little elopement. And I was like, oh, if we do it, we could go up to the ranch and just get married at Skywalker Ranch. I Hell yeah. yeah. Kevin and, did. Uh, I know. Um, <laughs> and uh, my my fiance's name is Jen Smith. So I joked she'd be the... <laughs> Oh second, my God! <laughs> the second Jen Smith to get married at Skywalker Ranch. Wow! Because uh, Kevin's Kevin's wife is is yeah Jen's. yeah that's great. Um, but I think we're not. I don't think we're gonna do that. But I I there was a moment in time where I was like, should we just do this? It would be so fun, and it'd be again, it'd be such like a like a low key like humble brag moment of just like, well, you know who else got married at Skywalker? <laughs> George's niece. <laughs> Seth Green, Kevin Smith, and Mr. Nobody, me. Me. Oh, <laughs> Speaking of Mark Hamill, what? who would be like for the scum and villainy? What would be some of your dream guests? Oh, gosh. Um, good question. Uh, I would love... One of them would be Mark Hamill, for sure. For sure. Um, because I just... Like, Nathan, his son, has been into the bar a whole yeah. lot. Um, yeah. But, um, and Nathan's a really cool, cool dude. And like, we've done some events with him and his uh, vinyl action figures. Um, but to get Mark into the bar, I think would be really cool. I, like, I just want him to walk in and do, huh, there's something familiar about this place. Yeah. Like do his Dagobah line from Empire, but do it at Scum and Villainy. Um, I think it would be amazing. Uh, obviously, George would be great to have to, in the bar. Um, George's son, Jet, comes in all the time. Nice. Um, so I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, obviously, Harrison Ford. Like, the big ones, you know. Um, we did have Rick Baker in the bar. Nice. Who did a lot of the Cantina Aliens, which was super nice, real and cool. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Kelly Marie Tran, uh, Rose Tico was in the bar, like low key, just dropped in. Um, Ahmed Best has not been in the bar when we were there or when we were open, but he came in and did a podcast recording there with uh, somebody else while we were closed, which is really cool because I'm actually, I don't know if you guys know, I'm like a, the world's biggest Jar Jar Binks fan. <laughs> Um, that's very not, cool not ironically uh, <laughs> i have a life-size jar jar in my living room right now. oh my gosh if you go in it's um like we can get into that whole thing but i just think jar jar is uh i think that he's a, a misunderstood for yeah well like and everybody's like jar jar's a sith lord i'm like no 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 it's like the thing that makes <laughs> the thing that makes jar jar brilliant and I think the the thing that makes him so hated is that from the moment you're little, when you go to school, you are taught that if you are different, you are ridiculed. You're a target. Yeah. Anybody who's different is a target. And if you are friends with the person who's a target, you become a target. Yeah. So you're taught at a very young age, don't be a target. Yep. Yeah. And when you watch 
Star Wars Episode One, Jar Jar isn't any more annoying than C three PO in Episode Four. Absolutely, and right. so, but what he is is he's a target, and he, you know, oh Jar Jar, why were you banished? Oh, I'm clumsy. Oh Jar Jar, why'd you do this? Oh, I'm just Jar Jar. I'm just me. I don't wear a mask in public, right? And I yeah. think that. If you're 15 years old, I was 18 when Phantom Menace came out. But I think if you're 13, 14, 15 years old, watching Jar Jar be who he is unapologetically. I am unapologetically this person. And I'm not willing to hide it from you. I'm not willing to hide it from Boss Nass. I'm not willing to hide it from Qui-Gon Jinn. And I'm not willing to hide it from Queen Amidala. I am who I am. I don't care what your status is. Right. I think that subconsciously that makes people really uncomfortable. Oh. And it's easier to say Jar Jar Binks sucks and ruined Star Wars than it is to say, like, maybe I'm, maybe the Star Wars isn't for me. Maybe the Star Wars is for the, the seven-year-olds who are the same age I was when I saw Star Wars. And if you talk to a lot of the people who hate Jar Jar who were seven, people who were seven when Phantom Menace came out loved Jar Jar. And if you talk to them today and they're like, Jar Jar sucks, it's like, why does Jar Jar suck? Well, because he steps in poop. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) Jar Jar stepping in poop ruined a two-hour movie for you? Well, when I was younger, I didn't hate Jar Jar. Well, why'd you hate Jar Jar? Well, my 13-year-old brother teased me for liking Jar Jar. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, so that's why you hate Jar Jar. The older person teased you because, okay, cool, guys. I get it. So what you're saying is, is like, Jar Jar actually doesn't suck. He actually is just not for you. Yeah. Darth Maul is awesome. I'm like, Darth Maul looks like, like, (laughs) like, a the caricature devil. of the devil. Right. <laughs> like, everybody loves Darth Maul. Oh, he's got a double-bladed lightsaber. Cool. That was XR Kuhn in Jedi Academy trilogy that came out in 1997. It's not new. Right. Um, you know what I mean? So, like, I think... I think That's a that, bad teeth, too, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know... Like, oh, you need to get that fixed. I think it's... Um, for me, with Star Wars loving boba fett or saying it's a trap or being like you know who's awesome wedge he didn't die (laughs) Um, thank you for saying that thank you is not like i i was and this i don't want this to sound gatekeeper or whatever but like i wedge antilles was my my like favorite hero in like 1992 or 93 um and it's to me that's too easy it's too easy to be like, Boba Fett's the best. He stood up to Darth Vader. It's like, cool. I saw that meme too, dude. Um, <laughs> I, I want to, and like, look, if people love Boba Fett, like I'm not shitting on you for liking Boba Fett, but for mm-hmm. me as a Star Wars fan, I think that I want to find the things to champion that don't have 400 champions already you know they aren't the things that like it's not the easy thing to like it's the thing of like well why don't people like this and who does like it and the people who do like it why do they like it and when you i think search those things out like you can find like it's it's you find things that are more rewarding like uh 
one of my buddies was asking me like what's your favorite indiana jones movie is it raiders of the lost ark or last crusade and i was like well the temple of doom <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of both those i was like but it at 39 years old after having seen raiders of the lost ark <laughs> and last crusade like once a week my entire life growing up because they were my favorite yeah i'd rather watch temple of doom now <laughs> and watching temple of doom now like there are little nuggets in Temple of Doom. We that are, are going brilliant. to die. <laughs> yeah, like they're they're brilliant. You know, they're yep. so smart and funny and um and different than you know less crusade spiritually, right? If you were to draw a a graph of the highs and lows of last crusade it matches up perfectly with raiders of the lost ark and yes. and that's why people love it temple of doom is completely the opposite you know yep. and so yep. people are like fuck temple of doom it's like no 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 it's just a little bit it's not what you were expecting but it's still fantastic right kingdom of the crystal skull is another story <laughs> oh, oh let's man. cut it out cut it out <laughs> that's another story but i you know so that's kind of you know the the thing I love about the Star Wars prequels is finding those little things that, you know, if you kind of dig a little bit deeper, you, um, you can fall in love with, you know, mm -hmm. I, uh, I actually, oh, I shouldn't, I said, I say this publicly too much, but I have written a prequel story for Jar Jar where I, I feel as if, um, Jar Jar, uh, if you reframe the way you look at Jar Jar, mm -hmm. you can, I, I think he could be a tragic character. So I've written, I've written out this thing where, um, Jar Jar is a hot shot at like the, uh, Odagunga city police force, like the Quantico of Odagunga <laughs> city police oh force years before episode one comes out. And, um, Captain Tarples is kind of the head of police at that time and recognizes Jar Jar as this unbelievable marksman. You know, he's the Johnny Utah of, um, you know, the police force. And in the midst of um, going through like this top gun of Odagunga police force, uh, his wife or his, his longtime lover, they've, they've known each other since they were tadpoles, um right is a biologist and she is studying the planet core and uh and how they can harness the energy from the uh from the naboo planet core to solve energy crises and and right. things like that and she is killed in the planet core and it destroys him and jar jar uh can't handle it he drops out of top gun he goes up to uh he leaves the city and he lives on the surface of the oda uh, of the naboo swamp right and his voice because he's not underwater anymore he's living above water he's you know he's sucking on poison frogs his voice actually goes from here up to here yep and and wow. so it's actually oh. his voice that everybody hates is actually a result of of a substance abuse problem and a, this tragedy <laughs> that he's perfect. unable to cope oh, with. And um, <laughs> a few years prior to, to the events of episode one, Captain Tarples 
uh, finds Jar Jar and is like, hey, I, I need you for a secret mission. You're the only person who can do this with me. And um, a prominent Naboo child has been kidnapped. And then the media in Naboo, the Holonet, has blamed the Gungans. And Tarples is tasked with finding the child and clearing the name of the Gungans. And the only person who can do it, he, he can't trust anybody in the police force. He goes and he recruits his top candidate of all time, Jar Jar. And he and Jar Jar have a buddy cop adventure going through trying to discover who's kidnapped this human child. You know, throughout the course of this adventure, he you know, crashes the boss's hay blibber and all of these things that you hear about in Star Wars episode one, you get to experience the circumstances behind it. And in the end, they find the child, but there needs to be a scapegoat. So you have that Commissioner Gordon, Harvey Dent, Batman right. moment where right. Jar Jar yeah. is like, I am waiting to die anyway. Put the blame on me and I'm going to go back to my hole above the swamp and continue sucking on poison toads until I die. And it's my fault. And I will take the blame and I will save the Gungans. And he, he does that. And that now has to be his story forever. Oh, I'm clumsy. I'm an idiot. And what you realize is that the person who actually stole the child is Palpatine. Ah. Palpatine took the child to start a race war between the Gungans and the Naboo, right? Mm -hmm. They know like in us, Misa thinks, right? Right, 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 right. right. Uh, He starts that war knowing that in a few years, he's going to have the Trade Federation. And if the people of Naboo are divided, that it will be easier to conquer the planet. Wow. And so that's my job. But if you watch episode one, after having seen that story of Jar Jar, all of a sudden he's sympathetic. He's, um, he's not, he's tragic. You know, this yeah. is a guy who gave up everything to help his people. And as he brings his people, as he brings and shepherds, the Jedi and the people to Odagunga that eventually brings the Naboo and the Gungans together, all of a sudden, he's not the annoying dude who who doesn't like smelling farts and stepping in poop. Like he is kind of a hero. It's just just you just need to reframe the way that you see the things in the movie. Well that story actually almost makes the end of episode one where they promote him you know in the battle it almost like oh well we know you have some skills so mm-hmm. that brings some legitimacy right. to yeah that's, right. i like that right i've retconned jar jar into like the greatest character like even greater than sith and it all ties in and like oh yeah. ah Anyway, it's like you make made, movies or something. Right. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a great story. I mean, because you know the story so well, you it, it sounds like it's seamlessly connected. You, yeah, you weave it into all of those things. Everything that makes you hate Jar Jar in episode one, you create the situation for it that makes him sympathetic, right? right? So all of a sudden it's not like, 
oh, you this clumsy, stupid CG character. You're like, oh my gosh, this, this guy is continuing to take the blame and he's doing all of this because he lost the, the love of his life. It's tragic. And then he succeeds at some of the highest levels. He, he gets elected to the Imperial Senate and maybe he's, he's starting to get his life back together. And then boom, he makes a mistake of emergency powers to the chancellor. Like oh, he's boy. played as a stooge. You He's played as a stooge by the very person whose plan he foiled in the previous movie. Mm. You know, so does Palpatine realize that Jar Jar is the one who screwed up his plans for taking over Naboo and now plays him, which also makes Palpatine a better, more conniving villain. Villain, yeah. Which even then, one further helps make more sense of episode nine when he comes back because he's had the whole thing planned from the very beginning Mm. so i've got to ask you that's that's free if you want to take it (laughs) (laughs) it's fucking gold right who says that um i gotta ask you the generic question that i'm sure you get asked often but so what's your favorite star wars uh my favorite is return of the jedi Nice. I think that, um, I mean, I can make a case for Ewoks about like, well, George Lucas was initially supposed to be the director on Apocalypse Now. And when it was written by John Milius and George Lucas, it was during the Vietnam War and they were very anti-war and the, the, you know, the North Vietnamese are supposed to be like the Ewoks and like they're, you know, it's representative of like the primitive society overcoming this, you know, like I could go through all of that, mm. but ultimately, you did the, it so beautifully, you know, the point <laughs> of Star Wars is w- the Luke and Vader lightsaber fight. Yes. The end of Return of the Jedi is Thank the core of episodes one through nine that sequence if if you had to distill star wars down to four minutes that's what it is and uh whatever you don't like oh they're on tatooine again oh there's another death star oh there's another it is um that is the scene it's also emotionally just the movie i watched when i was sick growing up it's the first movie i ever saw in the movie theater um there are also tons yeah. of spiritual principles in that movie also oh absolutely specifically in that one especially specifically in the return of the jedi there are tons of spiritual principles that i've had to stop and write down and just because they just apply to everyday life it's yeah. also you know they um it's one of my favorite things of all time which i think you know it's the original alternative facts which is uh you know well, what I told you is true from a certain point, certain point of view. view. Right. You know, like anytime anybody says anything to me at the bar, I'm always just like, well, it's true from a certain, certain point, point of view. view. Like you can't argue that anymore. It's like the ultimate retcon. Um, I think that uh, A New Hope is probably the best Star Wars movie mm-hmm. in terms of movies. Um, everybody's like, it's Empire. And I, I actually talked to uh, Leonard Moulton, the film critic, about it. Nice. Um, on, uh, on our May the 4th live stream. And I trapped him into saying that without a new, the success of A New Hope, without uh, George's 
ability to make you fall in love with Han, Luke, and Leia, Empire Strikes Back doesn't work at any level. Correct. And so, you know, Empire Strikes Back, like A New Hope is the found the bedrock foundation. It's the 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 good bones of the house, the drywall, this the new roof and everything. Empire Strikes Back is the freaking property brothers going in and hanging art on the walls and picking paint colors and 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 what flooring's going to be in the kitchen. Like you know, it it makes a new hope better. Um but it's it is uh it it is all superficial and has nothing without the bones, which is yes. new hope. Yes. Um, I can also argue, you know, like the Star Wars prequels that nobody likes. I can also argue, um, <laughs> hey, where in uh, episode four, five, and six uh, do they mention the word Sith? Yeah. Oh, they don't. They don't. Where in episode four, five, and six do you get do you get all of these memes? Where in episode four, five, and six do you understand the dynamic between the Jedi and the Sith? Where in episode four, five, none of that's in there. Right. The entire backstory, the entire quoting, the entire, all of the stuff, all of the lore that we know about Star Wars comes from episodes one, two, and three. And you think that it is in episodes four, five, and six, but it is not. It's not. It is all in episodes one, two, and three. Um. And without those movies, like you might not like the way the movies were made. You may not like the way they were acted or paced or there's a million things that you could complain about those movies where I'd be like, yeah, sure. But the story and the lore is, is thicker than it is in four, five and six. Yes. And the, uh, so much of what you love about star Wars is in those movies. And you are, you are putting it, into four five and six subconsciously but it's it's not there the word sith isn't there correct like you know like everybody's like oh i'm a sith sith jar jar whatever it's like it doesn't it's not there the dark lord of the sith isn't in four five and six if you watch a movie so it's like well i read all the books all right well that's a different story right but you're right subconsciously subconsciously we put it in there you're so right when you say that so what did you think of the um, scene 38 reimagined from episode four? Um, it's fun that you can say that uh, you say that and I know what it is. Um, <laughs> that community right? aspect, right? Uh, it was incredible. It was really fun to watch. I'm glad it's not what happens in the movie. <laughs> um, there's something, look, Darth Vader says, uh, or Grand Moff Tarkin says, um, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, if he, you know, the prince, you know, and then the guy comes on the comm and is like, there's a thing in cell block, you know, AA23. And then Vader's like, you know, Obi-Wan is here and the force is with him. Well, if that's true, you must not be allowed to escape. Escape is not his plan. I must face him alone, right? So by Vader saying, I must face him alone, like Vader and Obi-Wan, like Obi-Wan knows he's not going home. Right. Obi-Wan knew at the beginning of that trip, he wasn't going home. 
Right. right? So for Obi-Wan to like bust out episode three Obi-Wan moves and Darth Vader to bust out, like <laughs> that lightsaber fight is a formality. It's a formality because Obi-Wan knows that Vader will crush him. It's a formality because this is, this is like, uh, this is like when you have a board game night with your friends, like you're playing Monopoly and it like doesn't really matter who won, right? right? You're really there to have the vocal exchange, to have the, to share that moment. And that's what, that is Vader and Obi-Wan. They both know what, it's, it's similar to um, Maul and Obi-Wan it, at the end of Star Wars Rebels. It, it's, Obi-Wan knows he's done. Like, all he's saying is, is like, I am doing this because these are the heroes now. And, you know, you were my brother and like, this is the end. Like, that's all that is. So I don't think Obi-Wan was trying. I don't want to see Obi-Wan try in that moment. Um, I kind of like just the fact that it's like a chess game and not like bumper cars. Yes. Um, that being said, I love what they did. It's amazing to see. It's like, um, it's like uh, the special edition changes, right? right. And the mm-hmm. DVD changes and the Blu-ray yes. changes and the Disney uh, Plus changes. Disney Plus changes. <laughs> Who fired first? Um, uh, I love On. seeing it. Anytime I can get some more Star Wars or a reimagining of Star Wars or whatever it is, I want to see it. The only critique that I have, the only bad thing I have to say about any of it is I wish that I could still see the Star Wars I grew up with. Yes. Because the things that are added, even if I like them, even if I like the windows on Cloud City and all that, it's still, as somebody who watched those movies, (laughs) literally from 6th, 7th, 8th grade, I watched... Mm -hmm. Star Wars, Empire, or Jedi, one of them each night before I went to bed. Wow. So I've seen each of those movies at least minimum in that three-year span 365 times. Yes, you did. So, so, you know, I've I've probably seen those movies well over 500 times, uh, like Tracy Morgan says. So (laughs) if, if you now change a little thing about it, like Han Solo in Return of the Jedi, the first 500 times I saw that movie, when Lando goes, no, wait, I thought you were blind. He goes, all right, it's all right. Trust me. Right now he goes, it's all right. I can see a lot better. Um, It's really distracting for me. It's really (laughs) distracting for me to see the Banthas. It's really distracting for me to see this weird panning shot of how big Jabba the Hutt's door is. Like those things, those things, as I'm getting, as I'm like falling back into like the eight year old me, I right. see those things and it clicks me out of it. It's like breaking the fourth wall. It's like, that's one of the problems I had so much with the sequel trilogy was it was just like, like uh, on the Millennium Falcon, like Finn's ass hits the Dejeric board and it turns on and it's like a close up shot of the Dejeric board. And it's like, okay, JJ, you saw that meme. You've been a Star Wars fan for a while. And then like <laughs> they're going through a box of crap and he like holds the training remote up and like pushes it into the camera lens and i'm like oh oh yeah hey you saw episode four also Uh, (laughs) oh yeah oh and it's like 
Ray is like, uh, it's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 14 parsecs. Four and Han's like, 12. And I was 12, like, right. wow, like, are you going to break the fourth wall every three minutes in this movie? <laughs> or, like, am I going to, are you going to give me a chance to get into it? Right. Like, right. No, you're going to break the fourth wall every four minutes because it's the memification of, mm. of Star Wars. It's the, uh, it's like, you know who did it brilliant? Family Guy. Yes. yes. Oh, it's I don't. I. I don't want to see it in fucking episode seven. I saw it in Family Guy in <laughs> nineteen ninety eight or whenever Eight, that yep. came out. It's and it wedged. was brilliant. And it was so fun. And you know, then they did it for Empire and Jedi. And then Robot Chicken did did it and did oh it and God, did it yes. and it's almost like people forgot what star wars was and they and look the people who liked the sequel trilogy i'm not taking away from what they liked about it i'm saying for me star wars was always an escape it was a fantasy place it was a place that i wanted to believe could be real right and every time like i see a robot chicken gr- joke in episode <laughs> eight or nine i'm like this isn't Star like you're Wars. like it's too self-aware yes you know yeah. what i'm saying ah, like yeah. part of what makes princess bride brilliant is it's self-aware and yes. it leans into how self-aware it is by uh the grandpa and the fred savage character yeah makes sense right yep yeah that's just not i i don't feel it's appropriate for star wars in the way that I love Star Wars. And so I had a real, I struggled with that a lot um, in the sequel trilogy, more than any other, like that's not, I don't like what they did with Luke or Ray's too powerful or whatever. Like ultimately my problem with those movies is it's just like, you're breaking the fourth wall every six minutes to remind us that you, that you watched Robot Chicken. And like, (laughs) like, I don't need to connect with, with the, film on that level like you can't just let it be its own story anyway so the the last thing i want to say about the scene 38 because you brought up the chess game the the one thing that i really like about it was i don't think enough attention was paid to how obi-wan was really kind of in a way jedi mind fucking vader right it's like you think you're gonna kill me but you don't and i just love the voiceover part and then he's like obi-wan at the end so it's like i don't know i loved that part where it was just vader kind of knew damn like i beat him with the lightsaber but he still knows more about the force so i thought Mm. that was something that i don't i think he probably could have tied a little bit more of like vader's response to oh i'm just gonna step on his robe and then that's it but well it's also you know like what at least in the first six movies what is it that Anakin wanted more than anything is he wanted to keep people from dying. He wanted to live yeah. forever. And the, the rub was he was sold that power by Palpatine. And ultimately the power to do that comes from being good, from being selfless, from devoting yourself to doing things the right way. Um, you know, so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, in that way, like what you said, it kind of ties back into the tragedy of Darth Vader, which, I, again, yeah. they did it so well. It was so smart, um, and it's exciting. And if you don't, uh, 
like if you don't have the technical wizardry that they did on it, no, it doesn't get a million views on YouTube. But um, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it uh, there there's some cool stuff in there for sure. Yeah, JC, I have to tell you that this conversation has been more than I could ask for. You were incredible. I enjoyed this conversation. I will remember it for, I, I'm like so full. Is This conversation will last me all week. I'm not kidding you. You guys, I, I mean, it's fun, right? You like are a bunch of nerds who are like, hey, can you come here and talk about like nerdy things Nerd that shit? you love and like promote your stuff and and geek out? Like, yeah, absolutely. I will tell you, I'm telling you, I'm not kidding. That's I told easy. Rich this today. I had planned on coming to the Scum and Villainy this year, but I mean, obviously it was COVID and everything. I promise you, I know I will, but we will make it to the Scum and Villainy. Are you guys I, all going to come out? I would love for us to. I know that I will because I'm I actually, I'm the one that travels for the show to go. Mm -hmm. I go to different cons and different stores and meet with different um people that we can talk to but that that's my segment of the show 4K. so i know that's mm -hmm. i so i know that i will for sure but it would just be incredible to meet you and just to be in the bar once it's up and running and i have an idea yes have you guys ever seen the movie fanboys no what you've never seen the movie fanboys with uh kyle newman did it it's got oh oh my god okay so first off you have homework now okay <laughs> okay go rent the movie fanboys Movie Fanboys was directed by Kyle Newman. It was written by, at the time, his name was Ernie Klein. Now he goes by Ernest Klein, who did Ready Player One. Okay. Who wrote Ready Player One. Yep. <laughs> Fanboys is a movie that takes place in the fall of 1998. Okay. About four friends who have graduated high school and need to come together because one of their friends is dying of cancer and is not going to make it until May to watch episode one. Okay. <laughs> and they jump in a, a van and they drive from Columbus, Ohio. Nice. <laughs> to Marin County, San Francisco, or uh, Marin <sighs> County, California, to break into Skywalker Ranch and steal a print of Star Wars Episode One. Oh my god! So their friend can see the movie before he dies. Oh my okay. gosh! Down. It is amazing. Um, Kevin Spacey produced it. Um, Kyle Newman directed. Dan Fogler is in it. If you've ever, he plays the uh, uncle on the Goldbergs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, okay. he's in Fantastic Beasts. Um, uh, it's one of Kirsten Bell's first movies. Okay. So she's All in right. it. Uh, Jay Baruchel. It's one of Jay Baruchel's first movies. Um, and uh, Sam Huntington. It's one of his first. Nice. Or it's not one of his first okay. movies, but he's in it. Uh, Carrie Fisher has a cameo in it. Uh, Danny McBride has a cameo in it. Uh, Ray Park has a cameo in it. But it, I mean, it's it's us, right? It's right. literally us. So Absolutely. you guys being in Ohio, I was like, oh, my God. You need to get a van, drive from Brooklyn to Ohio. If you guys need to road trip to L.A. to go to Scum and Villainy. <laughs> absolutely. Um, that's to, I'm absolutely. Listen, I promise you. Once everything, once this is all over, I, I got to come to this coming villainy. It. And I if just, it's not over, I don't give a shit. We'll be there. 
Yeah. <laughs> you guys got it. You guys have to see Fanboys. I just also, wrote it down. I'll also plug, um, since I talked about it earlier, uh, yes. I just uh, wrote it down. <laughs> my movie uh, that I did that Kevin Smith is in is called Hughes the Force, like John Hughes, mm-hmm. Hughes the Force. Okay. Um, and that movie also has um, James Arnold Taylor from Star Wars Clone Wars. He's the voice of Obi-Wan. He plays Obi-Wan in the movie. And Catherine Tabor, who's the voice of Padme in Star Wars Clone Wars, plays Padme in the movie. And uh, Tom Kane, who plays Yoda and the announcer and Yularen in Clone Wars, does a voice of um, one of the stormtroopers in the movie. So it's like a fun 35-minute, like, again, uh, it's two guys are trying to get into the cool high school graduation party um that the girl he's been crushing on his whole life invites him to but her boyfriend says you can only come in if you bring a date and so (laughs) they in uh weird science fashion uh use a bunch of old computers and old technology and take their carrie fisher signed um slave leia action figure (laughs) and hook her up to the computer and turn her into a real woman Oh, that's oh great. My God. And instead of giving her, instead of giving them like magic powers and things like that, like in weird science, she teaches them the ways of the force. That's nice. Great. Um, that's incredible. So that's a fun movie. That's about 35 minutes. Uh, I also did a nostalgia movie called Summer 78 short film that's on YouTube. You can watch Hughes the Force on YouTube or HughesTheForce.com. Okay. 78 short film. If you YouTube that, it's like a four minute story about a little boy in 1978 playing with his Star Wars action figures. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like a twist ending. It's like a little nostalgia bomb. Um, And then Kyle Newman, who did Fanboys, he and I got hired not paid, but hired by Lucasfilm to do <laughs> a uh, short film called uh, Return of Return of the Jedi, which oh. is 10 minutes. It's on the Star Wars YouTube channel, Return of Return of the Jedi. And we interview like 20 celebrities about um, their favorite Return of the Jedi moments. Nice. So, um, and it's uh, it played for uh they re-released return of the jedi in one of the theaters in la for the 30th anniversary and um a few years back and uh that played before that and then they released it on the star wars youtube and so it's like uh seth green and kevin smith and jason Hughes and um uh topher grace and dan fogler and uh donald Faison and uh two of the guys from fallout boy all these celebrities talking about why they love return of the jedi and what's so great about return of the jedi so that's on youtube also that's bite-sized that's 10 minutes really fun really easy to watch and uh and if you love return of the jedi it just it it is celebrities validating everything you love about it Uh, chris hard chris hardwick does it um sure (laughs) <laughs> so we had some we had a lot of really really great uh uh eli roth filmmaker eli roth oh, shit. um which i know i'm babbling and i'm gonna have to go eat dinner in a minute but like <laughs> no you're fine dude, you're good dude we went to eli roth's house 
and uh, he was geeking out so hard about about Star Wars. And this is what makes Star wow. Wars so amazing. He was geeking out so hard with us. He went up into his attic and he got his journal, like his coloring book from when he was like seven or eight years old. No shit. And he's flipping through the pages and he's wow. like, this is me drawing Yoda. This is me drawing Luke. This is me drawing Han. <laughs> oh. And then he goes, and this is the page where I realized that Star Wars hat was a movie and there was a camera and hmm. somebody behind the camera making Star Wars. And so he had like literally crayon drawings of George Lucas, like stick figure, behind a video camera shooting Yoda and Obi-Wan and, and Darth Vader. No shit. And so he was able to show us the exact moment when he realized that movies are made by somebody. Wow. Which is, is, is where he, I mean, that's the moment he became a filmmaker, right? right. right. And yeah. so all of yeah. Eli Roth's films could be traced back to that one moment yeah. of a little boy loving Star Wars and then realizing that somebody, that he could make Star Wars. Um, and and mm. there's, I mean, that's not in the, that's not in the, movie that we did but like stories like that are so incredible where you're yeah just like, dude oh my god um i uh i was working on this other i'm gonna just ruin it people are gonna do these i was working on <laughs> a <going>. documentary um <laughs> with david collins who is uh one of the star wars celebration stage hosts and he's works for skywalker sound now and um and worked for LucasArts for a number of years doing sound. Like he's the voice of Proxy in the Force Unleashed okay. video game. And he and I were working on a documentary for Lucasfilm. Well, we were working on a documentary and then Lucasfilm wanted to get involved and then it died as soon as they got involved called There Is No Try, which nice, is nice. most movies when you watch them, you watch the movie. Like I love Avengers Endgame. Right, I think it's brilliant. All the MCU movies. I think uh, the first Iron Man is one of the best movies ever made. Absolutely. Yeah. But when Iron Man ends, when Endgame ends, your experience with those movies ends. Yeah. You're not. Um, it, it is what it is. It's entertainment, and it's great. It makes you think. It's it's makes you cry. It does everything it's intended to do. But when you watch a Star Wars movie for your for the first time and that movie ends your experience with star wars begins yeah so yes. you you at that moment are on your pathway to becoming uh the head of robotics at mit you're on your way of becoming a nasa scientist you're on your way of becoming a filmmaker you're on your way you know um to becoming a professional baseball player which is like how, how does that connect but like right. Uh, when I worked for Major League Baseball, uh, there's a former pitcher named C.J. Wilson. Yes. And he was, you know, not a high draft pick. He had, in, you know, uh, Tommy John surgery on his elbow. Yep. And, um, and he was in the bullpen. And uh, it's just the quintessential Rocky underdog guy. Sure. And he worked with Nolan Ryan, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and um, – 
and he became a starting pitcher. And the year the Rangers went to the World Series, he was their ace. Yep. A couple years later, he signs this mega multi-million dollar deal and moves home to Southern California to pitch for the Angels. Um, when we talked to C.J. Wilson about, like, what an incredible story you have. Like, you should write a book. Like, you have just manifested your entire life. Like, you right, really yeah. are – the definition of that you know what he said what he goes this shit's easy he goes <laughs> he goes watch star wars and watch the matrix ah, <laughs> nice. he was like i'm not gonna write a book because star wars exists you know um you know another thing like people don't know but like kobe bryant is a huge star was a huge star wars fan and kobe kobe's nickname when he was growing up was kobe one kenobi Oh my gosh. And, you know, he had that really bad ankle injury kind of like at the tail end of his career and people, Mm -hmm. he should just retire, whatever, whatever. When he came back out on the court, he didn't come back out on the court to his normal like entrance music. Mm -hmm. He had them play Imperial March. Wow. For his return. I had no idea Kobe was such a Star Wars fan. The Empire Strikes Back, right? Kobe's coming back. And so it's his sequel, right? It's the second half of his career. So like Star Wars doesn't, it's not a passive thing. It's, uh, It's something that if you have it in you, lights a spark that you will pursue the thing that you are like Kevin Smith said earlier and you brought up, it it will help you pursue the thing that you want to do and it will make you believe what you want, that you can do what you want to do. You know, Uh, that's what Luke Skywalker does. Luke Skywalker speaks to each one of us in a different way. Yeah. But this, but it's the same movie. We're all watching the same thing, but we all derive from it what we need in our lives. And that's why that movie is so, brilliant and that's why it's endured and that's why it's the year 2020 and the movie came out 43 years ago yeah we are still talking about it like it's the most important thing in the world (laughs) it's incredible i mean and i think jc that was a great way to end it that was a great i mean seriously (laughs) that was a great that was totally awesome i really i can't thank you enough and uh, I can't wait to visit you and the scum and villainy and just to be a part of that physically there in that space. I just can't wait. And I wish you all the best there at the scum and villainy. I send you guys good thoughts and I'm not kidding you. when I say that may the force continue to be with you. Seriously. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, thanks guys. Out, Seriously. Man. From yeah, the bottom absolutely. of our hearts, from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for taking the time out. <laughs> and talk to us. We re- it really, we really, it was a privilege. We really appreciate it. Thank you uh, so much. It was so much fun. Thank you guys. You're very welcome. Take good care. Stay safe. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 And there you have it. That was the one and only JC. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed that. That was a ton of fun. And uh, that conversation went on for probably about, I don't know, another hour where we were just talking Kevin Smith nonsense and more Star Wars nonsense. And uh, he finally had to go eat some dinner. But um, that brings us to the end of the episode. Um for mark and rob and myself rich uh we do all really appreciate you guys listening to us and uh we will see you next time may the force be with you
Thanks again, guys, for listening and supporting this RMR production.